Well, welcome everybody once again to the Magic Table. We're glad you uh, joined us here around our hypothetical magical table. That's we're not really around right now, but you know that's here because we value sound quality. It's a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor. So, uh, so I think so. We've been talking, and it's a new year. It's twenty twenty one. Lots of stuff is going on and we're still in a pandemic and like the the world still kind of just is insane. And yeah. so, yeah, we so, were just talking about mental health and, and what mental health looks like and the, yeah, the why behind all that. And yeah. Yeah. And I think, right. While we can be hopeful about a new year, like we're still really unsettled as humans. And so, if you've listened to like any previous episodes, we've talked about how much we value mental health, but we thought it was a topic that was worth revisiting. Yeah, that's good. So what do we want to, how do we want to approach this episode in talking about mental health? I mean, this is your world. This is my you world. You do this full-time, counsel people, you know, full-time every week, you know. Uh, so how do we jump off on this this episode? Like when you might need it, what are the barriers and kind of like why we think it's valuable? Yeah. I think we sort of, so the whole reason we kind of approach this episode or we're talking about it is just that like, I think I'm still frustrated and I don't want this to be just Christian specific, but I find that I'm still frustrated with how Christians tend to approach mental health. Uh, we could talk about all these other sorts of, you know, the importance of health in all these other regions of our lives. Although I would say probably we don't talk about our bodies, healthy bodies enough as, as Christians, mm-hmm. but that there's still this reticence with Christian Christians specifically to like get mental health help. It's like, is if, if I have Jesus, it should be enough. I should be okay because yes. I know Jesus. Right. Yes. And I find that frustrating. Oh, I find it like more than frustrating. (laughs) So, so often when we were talking about this episode, we just thought about some of the conversations we've had with people and things we've heard from people. And I think that idea can be so prevalent. Um, And it makes me think about like, in my first job, I worked with women coming out of prison, but a lot of them struggled with addiction. And so often we would go to, you know, either a treatment program or I'd get to go to like a meeting, sorry, like an AA meeting or, you know, something with a client. And there would always be people who were like, I struggled with addiction for X number of years and I prayed and God delivered me. And that's an incredible story. And I, absolutely believe that God has the power to remove addiction from people immediately. And I also know that for most people, that's not how God chooses to heal them. And so I think to tout some of these stories of Jesus was all I needed or Jesus was enough can really create a lot of shame for people that maybe their faith isn't strong enough or their belief isn't deep enough And I don't think God wants 
people to feel that kind of shame. And so I think when we say, well, if you just prayed more or if you had more Jesus, and that was an addiction, but I I hear the same sentiment in mental health. Like, gosh, you're anxious. Well, if you prayed about that more, God would take away your anxiety or, you know, your depression is a spiritual attack. Can, you know, depression be a spiritual attack? Heck yes. Yes. And often, maybe not even often, but a lot of times it's not. And so I think when people are already at a place of hardship and brokenness to say like, you're not doing your faith right. And that's why this is happening. It's not only like not helpful, but it's just so unkind Hmm. and probably not (laughs) how Jesus would respond to people. Um, the other thing that got me really fired up as we were having this conversation is I realized for me why I take that really personally is because I think we were all, we're all given gifts as a part of the body of Christ. And my gifting is to be a therapist. And I've actually done this work long enough that I'm so confident in my skill set and my ability to help people. And so when I hear people say like, there's not value in counseling or, like Christian people don't need that. I've realized I feel so personally about it because whether, while I know it's not often the intention, what I hear is my skill set and the person God created me to be doesn't have value for his kingdom. Mm. And I think that's wrong. Um, and, and so I think to me, the beauty of therapy, especially within like the body of Christ is, God has gifted me and a lot of other clinicians to come alongside people in crisis. He has gifted us, you know, ability to be empathetic and to be listeners and, you know, all these other skills that therapists possess to come alongside people. And so when when Christians or humans say therapy doesn't have value or therapy is not worthwhile, what I think people don't realize they're unintentionally saying is maybe the people who do that work don't have value. And, um, I mean, I'm biased, but I think we had great value yeah. <laughs> to the world. I think that's an important point. I I'm really feeling compelled to tell my own story of like realizing I needed help. It's great. Is that okay? It's your story. Well, you because, can share whatever. Well, cause we've been married 15 years plus now. Yeah. <laughs> I have to think about <laughs> hey, it. It's okay. The <laughs> pandemic in and of itself makes time irrelevant. But yeah. uh, we've been married 15 plus years now. And for a lot of those years, you know, I always valued mental health for other people, yeah. uh, but not for myself necessarily. You know, it was like when people need help, for sure, recommend counselors. You know, as a pastor, like that's a major part of my role is to to help people, especially in crises and, and, and you having a a clinical background was very helpful in that. And it wasn't until we had had a couple kids, we were going to a training uh, for trauma informed parenting that forced me to read this book uh, called the anatomy of the soul, the anatomy of the soul by Kurt Thompson, which I'll link in the profile. And I didn't even read the whole thing. We had to read like a couple chapters out of it. And I was reading a chapter out of uh, anatomy of the soul and it hit like it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like all of my 
I understood all of my traumas in like a new way. Like I, I realized for the first time that I truly had like trauma and I, and, and I needed help because I didn't know how to like process my own traumas. And, uh, that led me on a journey of reluctantly sort of finding a therapist, uh, going to a therapist for uh, quite a while mm -hmm. and realizing that therapist wasn't a great fit for me. Mm -hmm. And, searching and finding a new uh, person to uh, kind of journey alongside me now in a, in the form of a spiritual director. Uh, but even like, as I'm sort of processing uh, my own sort of stuff in spiritual direction, a lot of what's coming out is like simple things. Like he's helping me like see emotions. Like I would say, to be honest with you, both of our children, our, our two older children have more emotional intelligence than I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I think from being parented by you and, and so I'm realizing how little emotional intelligence I actually had. And he keeps constantly pushing me, my spiritual director to understand my emotions, to feel, uh, what I'm feeling in the moment. And that's really important, especially for an Enneagram three, as we've talked about, you can listen to Sean Palmer's episode on the podcast about that. But this, my own personal journey of mental health has gone from, yeah, everybody else needs it to no, <laughs> like I need it. And I feel mm -hmm. like there's a lot of Christians like that, that are like, mm -hmm. no, everyone else therapy's great for everyone else, mm -hmm. but never for themselves. And I think that's, that gets tricky. And I think there are, there are times when we all need to go see somebody, all of us, mm -hmm. we all experience things that like, maybe we can't handle all of our, on our own. And, um, maybe this is a great segue into how do you know, uh, when it's time to go see a therapist or did I jump the gun? No, I just want to kind of circle back since you shared your sure. story. Yeah. I think something that's really important to note about this whole conversation is I would say that I had nudged. Yes, that's fair. Um, For a lot of our marriage that I thought you could really benefit, but you weren't at the place that you were ready to do that. Yeah. And I think that can be really challenging. Whether you are a parent who has a child you think could benefit from therapy or a spouse or a parent, like you can't get someone there until they're ready to go. Yeah, fair. And so I think it's, it's great to encourage, uh, to give those nudges, but also to do so with an understanding of do not sacrifice your relationship because you are so adamant that someone receive help that they're not ready to receive mm. <laughs> because they're going to, maybe they finally listen because you've, you know, harassed them long enough. They choose to go and they're not going to get much out of that experience because they're not ready to do the work. And, right. um, I think like, yes, it's okay to nudge. And I think it's important because sometimes people are waiting for those nudges. And also you may nudge and nudge and nudge and that person may not be ready. And that's on them. Like that's not on you. It reminds me a lot of an, of addiction, right? I mean, the same true is true for people who suffer from addiction because they're never going to do the work of, you know, going through recovery or at least doing it well until they're ready, until they really see a need for that. And I think a lot of times we're addicted to 
the ways in which we operate. Like we're, we're addicted to our coping skills. We're addicted to our sort of way of life, the, the way we sort of constructed things. And until something like, like radically like shows us that those things no longer work and we need new habits. Uh, it's very hard for us to kind of see outside of ourselves and see the need for those things. Yeah. So I think that's part of the barriers conversation, I guess like, right. There are some like just really, in my opinion, crappy barriers. Like I can acknowledge as someone in like a group practice, therapy is expensive. And if you don't have insurance therapy is more expensive and so like that is a really real barrier and I hate that that keeps people from getting mental health treatment yeah I also think like there are barriers if you don't live in a large area it may be hard to find a therapist like you should link that article that you sent me oh yeah um, about the like basically where there's there's certain states and, and certain areas where there's just like very little access to to mental health, health services and just yeah. that you know the pandemic clearly is just really showing the brokenness yeah. in the system um and and so i mean i think even access to care is a barrier but there you know there's also things of like carving out the time to do it you know Maybe you're in a marriage or a relationship where the other person doesn't value mental health. And so you feel the need to get treatment, but that's something that you need to hide. You feel you need to hide. You know, that becomes really tricky. Or maybe, you know, you're living at home and your parents think mental health is bogus and you're trying to not only get healthy yourself, but provide education to them. And so, I mean... Like smattering of the barriers yeah. for, you know, receiving treatment. But then I think we talked about when you need to go to therapy. Yeah. And again, I'm biased because of the work that I do, but I think always is when you could go to therapy. Right. Um, I think for some reason, whether it's people's experiences or you know, movies or television, kind of how mental health is portrayed is often wait till you're in a crisis, wait till your marriage is about to implode, wait till you are at rock bottom with your depression. And then that's when you seek help. And like, obviously, if you're in those places, yes, you seek help. And so often, and my clients will say this to me, I wish I would have seen you six months ago I wish I would have found you two years ago because if we could have addressed maybe some of the negative patterns that existed in a relationship or self-destructive behaviors if we could have addressed those years before they became ingrained patterns and behaviors they're just easier to correct yeah I mean it's like any habit right The longer you've had the habit, the harder it is to break. And Mm. so I think right now, like anyone's excuse is you're living through a global pandemic. (laughs) We're all experiencing collective trauma Yeah, as a world. And so the most basic answer is you're living through a pandemic. You should go to therapy. Um, But I think a more thorough answer is, have you experienced a loss? And I think we immediately think death. But, you know, some of my favorite 
people to work with are people who have retired by choice, but they don't know how to function in the world without a job. Maybe they had a huge falling out with their lifelong best friend, and that relationship may never be repaired. And so while that person is still alive, people are, you know, clients can grieve that loss even though the person still lives. And then there's, you know, loss of a partner, loss of a child, loss of a parent. All of those things are great reasons to go to therapy. If you find yourself more irritable, if you find yourself having a hard time getting out of bed, if you find yourself numbing with alcohol or Netflix or sugar, you could probably talk to a therapist. You know, and I think the same thing is true, like, within marriage. Like, maybe you're just not seeing eye to eye. It, you may not be ready for divorce, but just at a place of, like, we're not functioning in our best capacity, and we'd like someone to come alongside right. us and kind of tweak some things. I often say I'm a firm believer in premarital counseling. I think it's important. Another one of my favorite groups, I guess, to work with is people in their first year of marriage. Because I think even in premarital counseling, you can sugarcoat. You've likely still got on rose-colored glasses. You can't imagine how this person you so deeply love could ever irritate you or frustrate you. And so, you know, maybe it's, gosh, we got married and this is just different than we thought. We should talk to somebody. And what better like gift to yourselves and your future selves than spending, you know, your first year meeting with someone to just talk through like what that adjustment to marriage has been like. I mean, really the list could go on and on and on. And I think sometimes we assume there has to be a thing. Sometimes people show up in my office and just say like, I'm not as happy as I used to be, or I'm feeling more anxious than I have before. And I don't know really what's going on, but I just kind of want to talk about it. My other favorite thing about counseling, can you tell I like my job? (laughs) (laughs) Like I love all the things, but so often why people show up at my office is not really why they're there. It may feel easier to say, I'm just not as happy as I used to be versus I think I'm a horrible mother and I scream at my kids all the time. Or it's easier to say, I don't like my job versus I actually am a control freak and I'm ruining all my relationships because I'm too controlling. And so, you know, if you're not like going to counseling takes incredible vulnerability, you have to be really open. And so you may not want to sit down with a stranger and say, here's my deepest, darkest stuff. But here's the level that I'm willing to engage. And then as you feel more comfortable, you can start bringing those other things to the table. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think as you as you grow in a relationship with somebody like a, a therapist, it gets easier to mm-hmm. go to the, the next level. You know, it's like, yeah, I've shared these things. You understand me. I, I trust you, mm-hmm. you know, but you can't build that mm-hmm. trust until you mm-hmm. start. Yeah. Gosh, kind of circling back, though, to that barrier conversation is is just this idea of like what if you start with someone and you spend six weeks or eight weeks 
or six months and you realize like they're not my person. Right. And so I think that takes like that's a barrier, mm-hmm. right? Because you've already done some really hard work and it hasn't worked out for you. And so like just acknowledging if that happens to be you that like it can be really hard to say, well, that wasn't great. So let me find someone new and yeah. start the whole process again. And so, you know, I think when clients like that show up in my office, I'm always like, what didn't work? What like, can we figure out faster if I'm not going to be your person? Right. Um, because I can acknowledge like that's really hard. But yeah, I think a barrier can really be finding someone who gets you and can empathize with where you're at. I also think, again, another barrier is that that takes time. I've had clients, more clients than I would like to say, who have thought, I wasn't really sure about you, whether I was too young or my favorite. Too female. Too female. (laughs) That's always my favorite. Or too nice. I thought you were too nice. I still don't really know what that means, but apparently it works out for people, so... It's fine. (laughs) But I I mean, I think like there are these things of you've made yourself vulnerable and then to have to start that process over again is is a barrier. And, you know, finding someone that you feel you can connect to. And I've done this work long enough. I'm very open. Like I will never be offended if we do work together. I want you to find the person you can do the work with versus like feeling like you don't want to hurt my feelings so you stick with me much longer than you should right um apparently not all therapists start their their time with clients that way but i mean you know i think again those are important things to consider yeah i want to and i i I appreciate all that i i just want to reiterate this and i don't know what it is i've just been talking i've been trying to like process it but there's this notion that we have as people that we should just be able to figure it out that we should be okay. Right. Like if something's wrong, I should be able to figure it out. And I I don't, I'm trying to figure out where that comes from. I'm sure it's cultural. I'm sure it's a human thing or whatever, Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, unwillingness to ask for help or whatever, but there is that like that piece of it. And it's like, okay to not have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. That's like part of life. Mm -hmm. And I just want to give people freedom, you know, that like, If you've, if it's even like on the tip of your brain, if it's something that's like you've thought about for a while, like name, maybe that would be something it is. You should try it, you know, and it's okay to, to not be okay. It's okay to not have it all figured out. And sometimes we need other people. Yeah. Yes. So I think to me, the beauty of therapy is so often, right. People show up in my office and they want the fix. They want the coping skills. They want whether they can articulate it or not. What's the the what, the three step program? The three step program. Yeah. And to me, the beauty of therapy is just getting to reflect back to people. I don't actually have all the answers to everybody's problems. Don't tell people that. <laughs> um, How are you going to sell that book? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but just. I get to sit with you as an unbiased person who doesn't know all the pieces in your story and just give a different perspective. And I'm always amazed 
to be in session with people and they'll be like, so a few sessions ago you said, and it always like makes me hold my breath because I'm like, oh gosh, what did I say? (laughs) And I think sometimes the things that I think will be profound or impactful, maybe, but a lot of times it's when I allow myself to be a human with my clients and just like, sometimes it's really like off the cuff things that I've been thinking or processing for them. And I'm just like, Hey, I've kind of been thinking about this for you. Does this resonate? And just how that can be so impactful for people just to have someone else who's listening to your story and saying like, Hey, I'm seeing this pattern emerge or, you know, you've told me about a couple of relationships and these pieces seem to continue to be present. What do you think that's about? Right. And it it's not that I know all the things, but I just get to be this unbiased party outside of the story to kind of look in at the puzzle pieces and be like, huh, I'm kind of seeing some of these things come together. And so, yeah, I think even to go into it with this idea of like, it's not fixing you because I don't think people need to be fixed. It's just kind of walking along with people on their journey to like learn better tools or learn like, oh gosh, I have some really unhealthy habits that I learned from my family of origin or to fit in in my work environment or whatever it is. And just helping people like unlearn some of that or like, it's okay to say no. That's my favorite thing. It blows people's minds. That's like your free therapy for today. <laughs> like if someone texts you something, you can just say, no, I can't make it. You don't even have to give an excuse. And like, to me, it's very simple. I talk to a lot of people about it, but people are like, no one's given me permission to do that. And I think sometimes the beauty of therapy is you have someone who gives you permission to say, you can set a healthy boundary. You can say no to things that you don't want to be a part of. You can end that really dysfunctional relationship that you've been a part of forever. And so, yeah, I think having someone who maybe, not that you need permission from another adult, but sometimes you just need someone to say, like, you are making the good a good choice. And yeah. I'll support you in that. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Cause you talk about how much you love individual therapy and I feel like, well, I have you on mic here. Uh, you know, I had suggested for years while we've been married that you go into individual therapy cause I thought you'd be really good at it. And you weren't thinking that was such a great idea. Yep. You disagreed. Yep. And you, you worked in a lot of amazing fields. You did a lot of incredible work with like really tough populations. And now you're in sort of a, like what's so like some social workers. It's a sellout it's job. A, a sellout That's job, why right? I didn't want to do it. Not, it's not hardcore. You're yeah. not like in the streets. You Your know. car's not getting marked by <laughs> gang members right, to be shot. Right. Like what the world. So what is it? I mean, when you talk about like, I was created to do this. Like, what does that mean? to you and why do you think like doing individual therapy has become such a a lifeblood for you so this episode has gone in a completely different direction than i thought when we started and i like it okay i'm just gonna well, say yeah. um, it's our podcast so we get to I know. talk about whatever we want <laughs> i gosh that's a really great question 
I think in it because I think but I also think it's really multifaceted for me I think part of it is and I it sounds really cheesy but I like mean it with my whole heart if there is such a beauty of being allowed into someone else's story and to be trusted enough mm. that they show up feeling broken and I do not believe that I bring them healing but I I do believe that I get to watch them find healing in a way that's meaningful to them. You know, most of the people I work with aren't believers. And it's incredible to me because I often say it's the most holy work I've ever done. Because sometimes I feel like I can see the Holy Spirit moving and at work in people's lives who don't know who the Holy Spirit is. And so just that I get to watch the spirit move and bring people healing is just incredible. And that like they like it, I am not the healer and I'm very aware I am not the healer, but to watch people get healthy and watch people get healthy and watch people get healthy is just a gift. I also think it just uses my skill set in a way that no job ever has before. And I think they're, oh gosh, we're like going deep. Um, Like if you know us in real life, like everybody knows I'm a crier. It's like a joke. People laugh about it. It used to like mortify me. Now I embrace it. It is who I am. I'm very tenderhearted. And I think like this work not all therapists are tenderhearted. Like, I acknowledge that. But I think God has given me, like, a spirit of mercy and empathy. And I just get to be present with people and be empathetic and merciful towards them. And I'm like, how many people, like, get to have a job where they just, how do I say, I just sit and, like, do, and it's more than that. But, like, I get to just sit in my office and be empathetic and show mercy And it's so beautiful. And it's also like the hardest job they've all, they've all been differently hard, but it's also really hard to walk in to people's hurt and brokenness session after session after session. And so I also feel like God uses this role to really refine me. Like, I have a dependence on him in this job that I don't ever think I've experienced previously because, like, I, I like, literally cannot do my work out of my own energy and self. And so, like, without the filling of the Holy Spirit, like, I literally can't, I can't do my job well. And I think if people are paying me to help them, I need to be doing an excellent job. And so that requires like, yeah, being filled with God's spirit. Yeah. I think in all that and all that mercy and all that, you know, all that good stuff that you bring to a counseling session, you also have the f- ability to just straight up lay the smack down when people need to hear the truth. And nobody expects and nobody it. Nobody is. It's yeah. Because it people think incredible. I'm yeah. so nice. Yeah. That's what, that's what people are talking about. Hey, you're so nice. And then you like confront them <laughs> on something because they need to be confronted and, mm-hmm. I just think like you're saying the Holy Spirit can work like at a job 
not on a Sunday morning. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's like you should do a podcast about how <laughs> like all people can use their work to bring glory to God's yeah, kingdom. It's weird. It it's is weird, weird to think about. But no, I appreciate you going into that. I just think um therapists so many times, and and this is we've seen this in your job and, and a lot of your roles, but they can become dehumanized really easily, you know? A therapist can just become that person that you go uh see, they can become therapist instead of person mm-hmm. you know that has emotions that is dealing with stuff i mean you're you're walking through a global pandemic with uh many people every week thir- 20 to 30 people a-, a week and you have been for almost a year now and i think like at the same time like therapy's great all that stuff but a therapist is still a human mm-hmm. you know and i mm-hmm. think that's an important point and And I think we have gone on so many rabbit trails, but I think that is what is going to come out of the pandemic. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners aren't reading all the uh, articles about (laughs) how the pandemic will change the course of mental health. But I read an incredibly interesting article that just said walking, being a therapist and going through the same thing that your clients are going through at the same time has really humanized us to our clients. But I think it's given this opportunity for our clients to see us as humans, um, you know, and, and some of that is like small things of, you know, the client, my client sometimes will be like, oh, your background's different. It's like, oh, something happened and I'm at home, but because we're being, we're meeting virtually, like I'm able to do that. Or, you know, I've had a lot of clients say like, oh my gosh, I know you have little kids. How is school going for them? Or, and initially that was really, I was very guarded. I didn't really share things. It still varies very much person to person what I do feel comfortable sharing, but there are like a few months ago, I like basically broke my foot and I have had clients that have been right. They knew I was home because my background was different. I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm in a boot, all the things, but that I had clients that are like, how are you doing? How's your foot? Or how are your kids? Just that. It's really reassuring to me. I like that they see me now as a human. I like that I've shared enough that makes me human to my clients. And so whether that is saying like, oh, I have to reschedule your appointment because I need to go get x-rays or, you know, sharing like, yeah, having our kids home has been a different experience. Um, But I think this pandemic will change mental health in a lot of ways. And I think just that therapists are more humanized because we've walked through this with our clients in addition to being their therapist. I think, I think it'll change things Yeah, for the better. I agree. I agree. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, anything else? Other thoughts? You feel like we, I know we were all over the place. Sometimes that's how it happens at the magic table. It is. That's usually how it happens <laughs> at the magic table. But any other kind of thoughts on therapy and, you know, the season we're in and so we talked a little bit earlier about permission 
and I joke a lot with my clients that I need to have just like a big notepad made that says permission slip that I can just write people permission slips to do all sorts of crazy things. Um, and so I think like just to wrap it up, if you are a person who's on the fence or has thought like maybe I could benefit from counseling, I would love to give you a virtual permission slip to just say like you, you have enough value as a human to work your stuff out. You have enough value, like whatever you're walking through and you may have minimized it so much in your head and convinced yourself that it's not really a big deal. But I'd encourage you to seek out help. If you're in the area, I would be happy to recommend therapists. I know a lot of great therapists around, but I just think I want to give you permission. It's a new year. It could be time yeah. to seek out and, and to care for your mental health. The same way that you would if you had the flu or a cold, you would seek out a doctor. And so if you feel that your mental health is in jeopardy, I think you should seek out appropriate help. Listen, if not now, when? Right. <laughs> Come <Right>? on. Like, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, totally. Well, good. Well, I appreciate you sharing. I think this is such an important topic and we don't still don't talk about it enough as a, as a church community and just as, as people. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear your feedback and, and your, if you have other questions, we'd love to answer those. So. Yeah. So keep coming back to the magic table. We'll keep talking about mental health and we'll keep answering all of your questions completely and totally. Always. Always. All right. We'll see you next time y'all at the magic table. <laughs>